John 2, 23, this is what it says. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So these are the three verses that we're gonna touch on very briefly this morning. Jesus is modeling for us how to use wisdom when it comes to where we place our trust. We just sang about it. Scott just explained it really well. I dare not, what do we say? Trust the sweetest frame. I learn, I gain perspective on who I am and who God is so that my life is more reflective of wisdom. John Calvin said, the sum of all wisdom are these two things, greater knowledge of self and greater knowledge of God. So these two things go hand in hand. We understand ourselves more rightly when we begin to understand God more rightly. Those two things get put into perspective for us. And that's really what we're seeing here in those three verses that we just read. Now, man, I love the holiday season. One of the reasons why I love the holiday season is because all of the Charlie Brown specials come out. And uh, I don't know, I don't even know if, if, if anybody's watching Charlie Brown anymore, I still do. Um, but growing up, it was kind of a thing. You always watch the Charlie Brown, you know, Halloween special, Thanksgiving special, I, uh, the Christmas special. I know Kyle Gordon, there we go, big fan. Um, but in The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, I'm only bringing this one up because it's the season. Um, Charlie Brown has a friend who's not that great of a friend, her name's Lucy. And uh, Lucy tells Charlie Brown that she has a signed document. And the reason why she has a signed document is that she's trying to assure him that she will not pull the football away that she sets up for him to kick every time. And that is the story of Lucy and Charlie Brown. And every time it seems like Charlie Brown, he trusts Lucy, right? And then when he stands back and he makes a run to kick the football, what happens every time is that right at the last second, she pulls it away and Charlie Brown goes flying through the air and he, he hits the ground with a, a painful thump, right? You gotta ask yourself something about Charlie Brown when you're watching the great pumpkin Charlie Brown is, hey Charlie Brown, how many times is this gonna keep happening? And then a month goes by and you watch, it's a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving and the same thing happens, right? And you think to yourself, why do you keep trusting Lucy to keep that ball in place so that you can kick that ball? And I don't know, whatever kicking that ball does to you, Charlie Brown, whatever, whatever, like whatever kind of confidence or whatever kind of identity that it gives you, man, you're missing it, right? You're not um, getting to even experience that because at the end of the day, Lucy is not a friend that can be trusted. And so we ask ourselves this question based on not that ridiculous Charlie Brown analogy, but the three verses we just read, to be clear. Um, and it's this, who, who do you entrust yourself to? 
Who do you entrust yourself to? And what are the two things that we need to be mindful of as we strive to be people who use wisdom the way we see Jesus using wisdom in these three verses? The first thing that we see that we need to be mindful of is the heart of man. The heart of man in verse 23 When he was in Jerusalem, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, when we get to verse 23, it's interesting, and we think, man, this is awesome. This is something we all want to see, right? Jesus performs miracles, and people come to faith. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing like the omnipotence of Jesus on display. And by omnipotence, we mean his, his divine, supernatural power as God in the flesh. He's been showing it to us all the way through up to this point in John. He's performing miracles. He's showing that the claims that he has made about himself as being God, they're true because only God can do the things that he is doing. But there's something a little off here as we get to verse 24. There's something different in the language because it begins with the words, but Jesus. And so John, what he's doing here is he's telling us something about the heart of man in this, as well as the mind of Christ in these three passages. He is indicating here by Jesus's response to those who are told, believed when they saw the signs, that there is a a kind of belief, there's a kind of faith that is not necessarily authentic. They believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And what we we know from this and what we know from other passages and what we're gonna see in, in different places unpacked as we go through John is that a faith that's based on the on the performance of Jesus rather than the person of Jesus is not necessarily an authentic faith. And this is just such an important thing for us to wrestle through and to understand for us this morning. It's really important. It's really important because it's this, believing in Jesus isn't the same as Jesus being Savior and Lord over your life. It's not the same thing, right? Believing in Jesus isn't the same as loving and treasuring Jesus. It's not the same thing. Now, one of those things always needs to contain the other thing. Loving and treasuring Jesus, it needs to contain belief in Jesus, right? Jesus being Savior and Lord over your life, well, that, it needs to contain believing in Jesus. But believing in Jesus, as we're going to see as we unpack this a little bit, doesn't have to contain those other things. And that's what Jesus is driving at here as these people looked to him and his miracles and they kind of went, ooh, ah, I'm with that guy. There was something different in that that we want to look at and that we want to be guarded against, we want to be aware of in our own life because at the end of the day, Charlie Brown just lacked self-awareness, right? He lacked an alarming amount of self-awareness in allowing his trust to be placed on a person who was clearly not trustworthy with footballs, right? 
you know, when you, uh, when you read a little bit of the history of like British royalty or you watch The Crown or Downton Abbey, um, what you realize is that all, uh, many times through the years, um, the royals, they, they, they married for position. They, they married one another for prominence. They had children because they needed an heir to inherit the title and the estate to keep that family line going. But they didn't necessarily have to love the person they married in order to gain the benefits of marriage. And this is one of the dangers of the church, right? And we see this kind of fleshed out here just ever so slightly in verse 23 is that we can come into this whole person of Jesus and be enamored and be given in to the wrong things rather than the actual heart and person and work of Jesus himself. Instead of the love and the compassion and the grace and mercy that Jesus has extended to us as a way to completely change and reform our hearts. We can stand back and go, yeah, 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 all that stuff. But what I really like is the stuff I see him doing, right? What I really love are the benefits. What I really believe in are the benefits. Here is what Jesus cannot be in your life if he is to be Savior and Lord over it. He cannot be an acquaintance to you. He can't just be a historical figure. He can't only be this really good teacher, this really solid guy. He can't just be a sage with all the wisdom. He can't just be a guru who has all these wise words. He can't just be a boss. He can't be a mythical character. He can't be a miracle worker only. It is not enough to acknowledge Jesus as the guy that you're supposed to believe in so that you can claim to be a religious person, to feel like you're living a good life, to feel good about yourself. I'm all in with the Jesus guy, right? Or try to gain an advantage because believing in Jesus places you within a group of people that work well for your image. That may even help you with some of your, some of your stability in life, right? In John chapter 6, which we'll get to probably in a couple of months, it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, and this was a group of people of whom Jesus had just performed a miracle. He just provided them with a ton of food and they didn't have any. And they said, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, you are, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he says this, he says, look, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. In other words, I can, I can feed you. I have these loaves. I have these fishes. I have this food. It's going to fill your belly, but work for something that goes beyond just the temporariness of a full stomach. I am God. I am the one who God the Father has set his seal. There's something way bigger, way deeper going on here than just lunch at the end of the day, right? 
These were people who didn't believe in Jesus because his signs led them to an authentic faith, which they can, but because he provided them with sandwiches. And Jesus did not entrust himself to those who didn't place their trust in him. Look, our hearts are so deceptive. And you're not gonna believe that your heart is as deceptive as it is like I don't believe mine is as deceptive as it is. But our hearts are fooling us, right? I'm telling you, I just believe Lucy's gonna keep that ball in place and I'm gonna kick that ball. Our hearts are deceptive. They're so deceptive. They're not mildly deceptive. They're alarmingly deceptive. We can be easily taken in by things that are just not the real thing. I grew up with a mother that served us margarine for years, for years. I get that margarine, it was so soft. Get my toast, put it on that toast. It was delicious, man. I love that margarine. And I married a woman who said, I will never use margarine. We will only be using real butter in this house. And I said, it's kind of hard to spread, you know. <laughs> but I remember the first time I put that butter on that English muffin and I took that bite and I was like, my life has been changed. <laughs> there was no comparison, right? But that margarine, I don't know. It had me going. It had me going for like 24 years of my life, you know. In James chapter two, he says, someone will say you have faith and I have works. The book of James, we see this, James making this contrast between faith and works and how the two go together. And he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then he says this really, really alarming statement. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well, good. And then he says this, even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? I didn't say that, that was James. That faith apart from works is useless. In other words, you can say you believe. You can say you have faith, but faith produces a fruit that gives evidence that you are a branch connected to a vine. It's not enough just to say, I believe. Because people will come. And if people don't come, we have a heart that is constantly telling us something about who we are and who God is that is not necessarily true. In Matthew 24, Jesus says false Christ, false prophets, they're gonna arise. They're gonna perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, even people that God has called into his kingdom. Our hearts are easily given toward spectacle, toward empty promises. Second Thessalonians, Paul writes, and he said this, listen, he goes, the coming of, the, he's talking about, he's talking about uh, the end of the age, so we can't get into all of those fun topics right now. But he says the coming of the lawless one, we can't unpack that. 
is by the activity of Satan with all power and listen to this, false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. And here's why. Here's why these people that are taken in by things that appear to be true, that appear to be right, but they aren't right. And here's why. He says, uh, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So our hearts are deceptive because we are loving something or someone more than the truth, right? We are loving a performance more than the person. So we have to ask that question, right? We have to be self-reflective. We have to say, do I love the truth? Because the truth is hard. Loving the truth comes with consequences. It comes with a cost. There is a cost for following Jesus. Your life gets hard the minute you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's when life actually gets hard. Do you love the truth or do you simply love something that appears truthful? Who has your trust? Is it the church? Is it friends? Is it a political party? Is it a belief in something that you have mistaken for Jesus? Our hearts can become so easily enamored with the things of Jesus more than Jesus himself. And Jesus was well aware that there were people who were fans of his, but not faithful followers who lived out his words because they loved and they worshiped him. So this is the nature of our hearts. We can fool ourselves and we do fool ourselves, but we can never fool Christ. We can never fool the mind of Christ, which is the second thing that we wanna be mindful of. So we wanna be mindful of our hearts and we wanna be mindful of the mind of Christ. Jesus tells us that John tells us that Jesus knew the heart of man. He knew, what does that mean? He knew how fickle people were. He knew that people can flatter in order to get what they want, to get on your good side, to be drawn into you, to be on. He knew that people could say things to him in order to be on team Jesus, right? But here's what we see in these passages. He was not taken in by that. He wasn't drawn to that. He wasn't tempted by that. He shows his divine omniscience, again, which is a, a fancy word for saying that, that Jesus knew all things. But he, he showed his omniscience when John says he didn't, he didn't need anyone else to tell him what people were like because he knew what was in the heart of people. Jeremiah 17.10, the book of Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. I give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his, need, of, of his deeds. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he had the mind of God because he was God. He knew what was in the heart of man. So what does that mean exactly? Does it mean that Jesus never trusted anybody? Right? Does it, does it mean that we should never trust Anyone? Is that what these passages are, are really trying to tell us, man? Just kind of back yourself up, build a wall around you, and never trust anybody. 
I don't think that's what these passages are saying. It, it means for us here that Jesus used wisdom. He didn't let people's praises of him manipulate his heart. He didn't give himself over to people just because they were impressed by his miracles. And in fact, for Jesus to entrust himself to people like that would have meant that he was influenced by things like fame and flattery and praise and therefore someone who was susceptible to sin. And by the way, we should pray that God gives us this kind of wisdom too, which is hard for us. So that we're not people who allow the praises of others to either one, create a reality that's untrue or provide an identity that is dangerous to the development of our hearts before Jesus, right? Does that make sense? Our call is to entrust ourselves to Jesus who entrusts himself to us because he has claimed us as his own. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. He says this, I know my own and my own know me. They know me, they know my heart. They are drawn to the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion and the joy of my heart. They're not just in it for what I can give them. Does that make sense? I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Imagine being known to that degree. Imagine having that kind of intimate knowingness by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine being known to that degree to where you can say, Jesus, you can take all of me. You, I, I entrust my whole life to you. There's not, a, there's not a, an, an ounce or an inch of it that I don't entrust to you because it's the only safe place. It's the only place of which my life can be lived out in a reflection of wisdom and wise choices. So let's finish on this. What lessons do we see here? What lessons does Jesus model for us so that we're not tempted to misplace our trust? The first one is this. Don't reduce Jesus to a genie in your life. When they saw the signs, the qualifier was there. They believed in his name when they saw the signs. There's a saying in sports, which most of you don't believe I would know this. <laughs> but there's a saying in sports that says, you're only as good as your last win. You ever heard that? If you haven't, maybe it's because I made it up, but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I didn't make that up. But you're only as good as your last win. What that means is that everybody believes in an athlete as long as they're winning, right? But when the winds dry up and the performance starts to fade, what happens? The faith of the people fade in that particular athlete. We don't love him like we used to love him, right? We love Tom Brady as long as he's 
a 68-year-old quarterback that's still besting everybody in the league, right? The minute Tom Brady starts to fade, and I think he is a little bit, right? Um, everybody's like, oh, you know, Brady's had his day. We're going to talk about someone else now. This is how it was for those who believed in Jesus when they saw the signs that he was doing. They didn't... That didn't mean a person couldn't come to an authentic faith from the signs that Jesus performed. Because the signs that Jesus performed were some of the means that he used to draw people into the kingdom. But it did mean this, that Jesus had the tendency, that people had the tendency to reduce Jesus to, to a bit of a genie, right? And that's G-E-N-I-E, because I know there's somebody in the congregation named genie. Um, when appearing to his disciple Thomas after his resurrection, listen to this, Jesus said in John 20, he, uh, and Thomas was just a brother that was struggling. He was struggling. Uh, Jesus had risen from the dead. A lot of people had seen Jesus. Thomas had not seen Jesus yet. So he was kind of being shruggy. He was a little skeptical. He was like, I don't know. And finally, Jesus shows himself to Thomas and, and he says, hey, Tom, have you believed because you have seen me? Is that, what, is, the, is that what this is all about? Is believing having to do with you seeing me in the flesh? And then he said this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us in this room. In another passage in Matthew 16, Jesus said that it was a wicked generation that is always seeking for a sign. Because it means that what they really desire is entertainment. What they really desire is to get their wishes fulfilled. What they really desire is to avoid, listen, the need for faith. What that can look like for us today is this. Jesus, you will get my trust if you can deliver on the requests I believe will give me what I have determined is my best life for me now, right? That can be anything for us. The relationship you desire, the career you desire, the health you desire, the money you desire, the politician you desire to be elected. Here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus gives you more than what you want. Jesus gives you himself, which is what you long for and try to find in other things. See, a genie grants your request based on what you desire for yourself. Jesus flips the narrative. Jesus grants your request based on what he desires for you, which is himself. Lesson number two. First, don't reduce Jesus to a genie. Secondly, be careful where you place your trust. Be guarded where you place your trust. The self-aware person or the person growing in self-awareness understands they have a heart that is easily deceived. And they know they need to be guarded against the flattery of others. Proverbs 29.5 tells us a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. There's something deceptive in flattery. There's something that's not true. There's something that's gonna end up setting a trap for us 
if we run off flattery being what causes us to entrust ourselves to another person. So we need to use discernment. We need to pray, God, I, I easily will believe things that aren't good for me unless you give me wisdom because I'm easily swayed. And you know what? The things I'm easily swayed in, they're probably different than what you're easily swayed in and vice versa. So we pray that God would give us wisdom and discernment. The book of Hebrews, I'm going to read this out of chapter 5, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says this, about this I have much to say. Can't get into all that. I have to read the whole book for you. And it's hard to explain. Can't get into that. But listen to this. Since you have become dull of hearing. So this is what he's getting at to the people that are reading this book. People that have become dull of hearing. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God of the faith. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And then he says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Pray for that kind of spiritual maturity. We're all at different paces. We're all at different places within that spiritual maturity journey. Pray for what Paul's for what uh, the, the writer of Hebrews wrote here. Powers of discernment, trained by practice, constant practice. What practice? Prayer, to be able to distinguish good from evil. That's talked a lot about in the New Testament. Are you able to distinguish good and evil? Or are you just kind of drawn in when someone pretty tells you something you like to hear? Be careful where you place your trust. Lastly, entrust every square inch of your life to Jesus. Sorry, that's as theological as I'm getting this morning. Pretty theological though, huh? Entrust every square inch of your life to Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Isn't it amazing that, that the writer of the Proverbs said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You know, sometimes you're going to get it. Sometimes you're going to have some understanding. Lean on that, but just know when to lean on that. No, he said, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Psalm 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name put their trust in you. O Lord, for you have not forsaken those who trust you. So when we trust in the Lord, does that mean everything just gets peachy? Does that mean the butter's soft and it just spreads? No, it doesn't. It just means that whatever we face, we are not alone. We are not forsaken but we are covered by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we seek Jesus, not the signs of Jesus, not the gifts of Jesus, not the blessings of Jesus. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because we know that all of these things will be added unto us 
Because when Jesus has all of your trust, your other trusts begin to lose their stronghold over you. There was something, there was something compulsive. Charlie Brown needed to kick that, I know that's all I got. Charlie Brown needed to kick that ball. Why did he need to kick that ball? There was something in him that was moving him to trust Lucy and it goes deeper than just trusting loosely. There was something in him that wanted to kick that ball for something he thought he was gonna gain by kicking that ball far. The reality is that even if Lucy would have kept that ball intact and he would have kicked that ball, Charlie Brown would not have found what was lacking in his life filled by kicking that ball. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul tells us that those who are spiritually mature have the mind of Christ to discern what is good. So if you're, a, if you're a, a saved person, if you've put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, it means the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and is revealing to you the things that are good and pleasing to Jesus. But there is so much at stake for Christians to not entrust themselves to those who will play on their emotions. Play on your beliefs, play on your traditions, play on your anger, play on your anxieties, play on your hatred of things. Man, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. The church is sadly just, it has a reputation for entrusting itself to things and to people that collapse every time. Don't be like Charlie Brown with that football. Don't give in. Give up these things to the Lord who is worthy of every square inch of your trust. Because he is good, amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for these lessons that we get from Jesus in these passages. Lord, we, we look at our own lives and we realize that we can be easily deceived and swayed. We can put our trust in things that we are looking to fill us with something that we can only get from you. And a lot of times we don't even know what that is, but there, is, there are desires and there are longings for things that you've given us that are good. They're good longings. They're good desires. We want safety and we want shelter. We want to know that our lives have meaning and purpose. We want to know that whatever happens in this life, that we're going to be okay when we pass into the next. There are good desires and longings that you've given us, Lord. And we look to other things, sometimes other people, to fulfill those things, and they can't. So forgive us for that, Lord. But encourage us right now, because we do have the mind of Christ. If Christ is in us, let us think with discernment. Let us help lead our friends with discernment. We all have blind areas, blind spots in our lives that we need to become more self-aware in. So God, just help us with that. There's always so much hope. We're not going to arrive in a day and we're not ever going to not make a mistake again. And we thank you that there's so much grace for that. 
that even today as we reflect back and we think of some of the things that we've stepped into or some of the bad, unwise decisions we've made that have lacked discernment, that you, you don't abandon us. You're still there. We think of the disciples like Peter who made bad decisions, who lacked wisdom, who didn't use good discernment, and yet you walked with him and you stayed with him and you loved him and you didn't desert him. And that's, that's our story today. So thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that you are with us to the end of the age. And Lord, I pray that we can wait on you as you continue to provide more wisdom for us as your church. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.